So there's some conversations you have where you feel like you're just truly examining the human experience. Not for any specific reason or outcome you're trying to get to, but just because both people are so fascinated with understanding, <laughs> of just trying to make sense of what's there and what it is, for the pure curiosity and, and, and wonderment of it, if you will. And this discussion with Troy, my guest, was a beautiful, deep look into what this existence is really all about. Uh, neither of us would be so naive or arrogant to assume that we have all the answers by any means, but, but that's not the point. The point, which is very much the point of the show, I think, is caring enough just to explore it. And Troy's lived a really interesting life. Um, you'll see it in the bio and in, in the write-up and you'll hear it in the conversation. Um, it just has a super unique perspective. But maybe most importantly, he cares a lot about humanity, about people, and about the world around him. So we talked about love and God, his, his kind of most important value. Uh, we talked about spirituality, we talked about science, we talked about nature, we just talked about life. Um, and it was a conversation that I learned a ton from, about myself, about people, about Troy, and I just really, really enjoyed. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So with that, let's get to the conversation with Troy. All right, Troy, thank you so much for being here. Really, really appreciate you making the time, and I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, I like to dive right in, so I will, with that first question of what's the value, what's the belief, what's the perspective that's most important to you? Man, you know, that that answer, it's really easy, but so layered. Because mm. my answer would be love and God. Love and God. Okay. Love and God, um, those are the most two important things to me. What do those mean to you? How would you explain those? Well, that's why I say it's so layered, you know, because we say this word love. And I could say we're love and we all use the word love. But love to, even love in, in one context means so many things to so many different people. And my understanding of love might be different to someone else's understanding of love. And to me, they, they both are interrelated, this, this love and God. I mean, same goes with God, right? I feel like a lot of us, a lot of people in the world today have a resistance to the word God because of, of course, history and decades and decades of what I believe is, is a misrepresentation and um, organized doctrines and so on. For, for me, what God means is when I speak to God, I speak to someone's understanding, their understanding of God. I don't believe that anyone can tell anyone else who God is or what God looks like. I believe mm -hmm. that every individual deserves and is entitled to cultivating their own unique relationship to the divine, to God. And I believe what love is, you know, I have a book coming out in October, not to plug it, but I describe love as the ability to see God mm. in everyone, in all living things, and then to act accordingly. If we were in relationship with God, if we were having a conversation with God, even if we were in conflict with God, even if we were drawing boundaries to tell God what is acceptable and what is not, how would we do that? Mm. And I believe that if we lived our lives in that way, the world would be a very different place. I, I, I think most people could understand why that would be the case, but, but fill in the yeah. whole thing. Why, why would the world be a very different place if we could do that, as you said? Well, well first of all, I want to say, and, and this would be a good time to point out, that when I speak to love, I don't speak to flowers and rainbows of love. Mm. This is in chocolates and bunnies. Sometimes, yes, but love is also fierce, mm. and love is also courageous. And love is also drawing boundaries and telling someone, no, this is not okay. This is not acceptable. That is also love. But it is a kind of love that understands that everybody is a product of their own conditioning mm. and their own experiences. So it is a love that in drawing those boundaries and in that fierce, courageous element of saying no, we understand that below someone's conditioning is a seed of God. 
it's a seed of divinity. Mm. Um, so I kind of strayed, but I forgot your original. No, it's good. You can stay on track of it. So if yeah. people embrace that, if people live with that, what, how would it make the world a better place? Again, I think people could connect the dots, but for yeah. you, like, what's the connection there of how that makes the world better? Oh, okay, well, here's, here's one way to me is that when we begin to see one another in that way, and we begin to see each other not so much as our actions and deeds, not as our conditioning, but we see past that to see that God lives in everyone. Mm -hmm. And what we have to do is rather than judge someone for their conditioning, we need to help them recondition mm -hmm. and reprogram. And to do that, you first need to love them appreciate them, make them feel safe, and then begin to show them why their actions and choices or deeds or words may be out of alignment, right? Mm -hmm. But I always say that I feel when we're able to see one another on that level, I know it's a lot of the different layers and situations, a lot of people, this might seem very, might be hard to accept, but at some point in time, it may not be right away, but if we see each other on this level, in this way, at some point in time, forgiveness is not an option. It's mm. inevitable. Mm. Mm. So I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, both like the idea of it and also the implication of it. But let's yeah. explore it a little bit, because I think for, for, for a lot of people, they may hear it and think like that sounds really nice but for some reason it's not real for them so let's let's yeah. try and make it real for them and let's make it real for ourselves like yeah so is is the is is the underpinning of that view that or that belief that we are all the same like literally quite literally we're all the same like if you strip away our context the circumstance we were born in our genetics the biology and all that the essence of who we are you said the divine is in us does yeah. that mean in our in our base form, we are literally exactly the same? We are possibly literally just God in some ways, like aspects of God yeah. that have manifested out in different ways. Um, and that's how people should view it. Or is that not the case? Are we all individual in some ways and we are unique in, in who we are at, yeah. at a base level? Yeah. Terry, you give me, I have goosebumps inside uh -huh. because, because of this question, because this stuff I think is um it's so important. Right. So if I go, if I go off tangent, just pull me back. But put it this way. Our society has bred us from the day we are born to believe that we are separate. Mm. We are different. We are individuals, right? I was given a name. I was told my name is Troy and I am my body. You were told that your name is Terry. Terence, and that is your body. From that instant, if we don't begin to question that programming, right? Here's what that programming does. If I allow that programming to overcome me, what I'm what I'm saying is that when I leave my body, I cease to exist. Because if I am my body, well, then when I leave my body, I cease to exist. So my that also means that I am separate and different from everyone else around me. Mm -hmm. So the programming, the unconscious programming, if, if we can go there, is that I need to do everything in my power to preserve my identity mm -hmm. and my individuality, which means my needs, my desires, my wants, because if anything threatens, threatens my well-being, it's bad. Mm. Because when my body ceases to exist, so will I. Good? I think everyone can accept that. Okay. Mm. Now, we talk about life after death in whatever context. We talk about how connected we are. But I feel there's still some disconnect. And that's why, for me... I talk a lot about God, whatever that means to someone. It's form, it's formless, it's nameless to me, whatever someone connects that to be. Because without that, we remain separate. Mm. We remain individuals. 
whatever you want to call that, right? I always reference that the word spirit comes from Latin with spiritus. It means to breathe. If what if you believe that any breath is some kind of divine intelligence and that connects all of us, then great. But for me, I have no desire of living my life just for my own security and wants and needs, because then when my body ceases to exist, well, that's mm. it. Mm. And and I had a I had a discussion with someone recently, and I was on his podcast, and he was an atheist, and it was so interesting because I told him that I know for a fact that I will live beyond my body, mm. and I don't think he could grasp that. He didn't understand. He was so resistant, and here's why I can say that: because right now, Terry, me and you cannot possibly leave this podcast conversation as the same people we come into it, right? Every interaction, every conversation, every word, action, and thought that we as individuals step into carries a resonance and a vibration and an energy. And that changes the world around us. Not only does that change the world around us, but it influences the evolution of human consciousness. It influences the evolution of humanity. So in other words, every conversation I have from now on, you live in that because mm -hmm. you are now part of me. And I live in yours because we have now shared. So in that way, I say straight up without a doubt, I know I exist beyond my body. Because I know that my words, actions, and my thoughts have influenced people and, and human relationships and will continue to do that long after I die. We are energy. And I'm not saying that from a me, like I'm Troy, I'm special. We all do. We all do. We, every word, action, and thought carries a vibration and a resonance. We are energy. We are not form. Hmm. And I think when we begin to understand that, we begin to understand that it's almost like we are held together by a plasma, mm -hmm. that we are not these individuals. It's almost like we are individual cells within a body, mm -hmm. a universal body. And when a, when a cell begins to realize that, their priority is no longer individual survival. They're willing sometimes, in the book I call it, self-sacrifice. They're willing sometimes to sacrifice their own personal needs, desires, and wants for a larger collective, mm. a greater whole. But as long as I am unconsciously programmed to believe that I am an individual, then I will naturally, unconsciously do everything in my power to preserve my individual identity. And I think we need to start to talk about this and question it because don't get me wrong, the human experience is phenomenal and it has its purpose. Whatever that purpose is, I have my opinions. No one really knows. But there is so much value to the individual identity and the ego. So I'm not saying remove it completely. But we have to be in relationship to it mm. so that it does not overcome us. Because if it overcomes us, so does this unconscious programming of I, 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 me, me, me. And we forget about this collective that we are part of, that we are in service to. Mm. What good is my individual life if I am not in service to something greater? Mm. All right, let me ask you a couple of questions about the Troy, because I, I like this a lot. So a couple of different yeah. questions about it. So one one direction people will go if they're resistant to this or they're they're looking for even even if they want to prove it to be true, maybe the atheist, you know, friend that you spoke to, let's let's give the benefit of the doubt there. Let's assume they're trying to say, okay, I, I want to see if this is true. One of the most obvious things people come back with and say, but but look at nature, look at the way nature functions, even outside of the human species. It's about survival. It's about 
um, thriving and like growing your species and, and, and that the, the whole ideas of tribalism and things we have are rooted in animals that aren't human, that aren't, don't have consciousness, at least in the way that we think about it. And that it's the natural way of things to want to think about yourself, to want to survive that individualistic nature. We didn't create it as humans. It was given to us by, by nature. And oftentimes people will equate maybe correctly, maybe not nature with God. And they have this view of like, this was the way it was intended to be. How do yeah. we think about that? Is, is that just flat out wrong? Is it just short-sighted in how it's looking at it? Is there truth to it? How, how do you think about that part of it? I would question it because I think there is, you know, one, one of the first, my whole life, not to sidetrack a little bit, but my whole life, um, Terry, I grew up in a Catholic home mm. and I've always been close to God and I've always been close to Christ, to Jesus. But I always said from a young age, I was I looked at organized religion and I questioned all of it. I was like, he wouldn't have taught this. Mm. Would not have taught this. But my point is, I was always close to God and close to Christ. But one of the first times I can really remember understanding and feeling the presence of God. I now live in a forest on Trinidad's North Coast, and I've lived there for 10 years. The first six years, I lived in a treehouse. No windows, no doors, very rustic. And I grew up in a city, so I'm not in Trinidad, what we'd call a bushman. I'm a city boy who lives in a bush. It's mm -hmm. very different, right? And my first night in a treehouse, I remember my experience, and I write about this. The first few hours when darkness set and the, the noises of the forest came out, the animals came out, everything got dark. I began to feel very threatened mm. because I saw myself as an individual that was separate from all of it. So my, my concern and my anxiety was driven by my own self-preservation. And then after there was a moment, and I almost left and ran back into the city, right? But there was a moment when I connected to my breath and I was able to move past that. And I began to see moonlight on 100-foot trees glistening on the leaves. I began to see the animals and hay noises differently. And I felt something come over me. And I realized that the only reason I felt threatened was because I saw myself as separate. Mm -hmm. I saw myself as other. And as long as I was separate and other, not would I feel threatened, but I became the threat to everything else around me. Mm -hmm. But the second I began to understand that I am part of it all, that's when a threat dissolved. And I say this because, you know, there's an author, I think his name, I don't want to butcher his name, but he's the author of Sapiens. Oh, yeah. I can't think of his um, name either. But Yuval Harari. Yeah. yeah. And I remember looking at an interview with him once, and um, he said something that was so profound to me. He said, you know, we often, we often argue or question what is natural and what is not. But we are part of nature. So anything that comes of us is natural. So he said, as long as it is possible, it is natural. Because mm. we are part of nature. Mm. And he goes on to point out that if you really look at nature, you understand that nature isn't always good things. Death is also part of nature. Hurricanes, earthquakes, fires. It's all part of nature. Tornadoes, destruction, and death is part of nature. You know, it's part of the whole cycle of life. And I think when, if we can really grasp that, we we understand that we, when we consider death, it's an end to our current physical form. But but in reality, it's not really an end. Let me, let me ask on that because I, I so it ties back a little bit to what you were saying in the beginning about love that love isn't just chocolate and butterflies and bunnies 
it's a similar parallel to what you're talking about now. Nature, life, it, it's all of it. It encompasses all of it. And and one of the things that came to mind in, in, in my trying to play out like, but but maybe it is different is, you know, that you, you hear stories, perhaps you see it sometimes of, I'll just use lions as an example. Um, sometimes if a lion uh, mates with, with, with a new female, it'll kill the cubs that that female has. And somebody could look at that and say, look, see, like we are not, it's not all love. It's not all beautiful. It's not all connected. Nature shows us that there is like, this desire to that now that's mine. This is my female. I kill those cubs. And it's very easy, I think, for us as humans to look at that and say, see, that's the proof point that what Troy's saying isn't true. But I think what you're saying is like, if you can actually get to the level you're at, there's a way to see that and say, it's not necessarily that it's it's it's, it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, that's what it is. That's nature. That's that whole organism working. And in some ways that has to happen. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of starts to explain some of the even ugly parts we see in nature that says, that's part of all of this. That's part of the design. It's how it functions. And it's just us worrying about preservation, worrying about things that humans worry about that project something bad onto it. And I think I could I could get behind that where I often struggle, and I'm curious your take on this, and, and maybe it's still the same thing, but when, when you think of human suffering, human created suffering, right? I often, you talk about slavery, you could talk about- yeah rape that happens in the world, all of these horrible things that that seemingly don't have to happen, but humans cause it to happen on people. Yeah, That's where I struggle. And I say, if, if love and God are the most important thing, if that's what we need to tap into, and that's where we can find kind of the beauty in life and, and, and feel at ease with it and not feel threatened. But how do I how do I do that in a world where somebody is being enslaved or beaten or tortured or raped? Like, it would seem like that that doesn't belong in this world. Yeah. Is that true or does that, is that just like the lion eating the cub where it looks ugly to us, but it's actually still part of this whole system and we have to embrace it just like we would the good stuff? No, I, how I would answer that is um, I believe, and, and this came up in my head just now, is it to me, it's not so much of a way of saying, oh, this is how it is. We're programmed for survival, like you mentioned with nature. I also believe, you know, we talk a lot, a lot about evolution, mm. right? Evolution. What about spiritual evolution? So we have physical evolution. We have mental evolution. But I believe there's also spiritual evolution. And to me, that spiritual evolution would... would would lead us and leads us and points us any direction to live our lives beyond the priority of self-preservation. Mm. Because I can, and again, Terry, this is important, right? Because one truth about our existence is that we don't know. Can I, am I, I, I there's no way we know what this experience is, this human experience. And anyone that claims to know for me is a red flag. That raises a red flag for me because we don't know. And I am not okay with the suffering in the world, it's, whether it be man-made or otherwise. It doesn't feel good to me. I don't like to see it, especially when it's man-made and avoidable and screams disconnect, screams everything that is wrong with our world. But I believe, you know, I along, around this topic, we have to choose our words so carefully. I believe it is part of our evolution as spiritual beings, that we have to come here to experience these things in order I don't know. I can. It only makes sense to me that in some way we've come here to move beyond this this individual identity to evolve in a spiritual way. And I often say, like, to learn to love, to learn what it means to love. And there's this not a going to whole different story, but there's a story about an Indian saint. And when he's asked, "How do we find God?" he tell he says, "You meditate like Christ." And then his disciples run off and come back and said, well, you told us to meditate like Christ, but how did Christ meditate? And he replies to them, he says, with tears running down his eyes, he says, Christ lost himself in love. Mm. And I think that the only way we begin to glimpse what it really means to love 
is when we overcome this, this need or this governing of individual identity and recognize that right now, Terry, I'm in a conversation with God. And we begin to see everyone around us as elements of God, as part of ourselves. Because when I truly understand that, I have no problem giving of myself for someone else's well-being. You know, and I can't, I'm not saying this to numb or discredit the pain and suffering in the world. But how I often explain it is that this is the only way for me I can make sense of it to keep going and committed trying to show up from a place of love every single day. And if that's the only way I can make sense of it, so that I'm not always angry and bitter, then I'm okay with that. Mm. I'm okay with that. Because one thing I know for sure, like I mentioned, that is not questionable to, to me, to, for anyone to question it is it's ludicrous is this, that every action, word, and thought that we embody and occupy changes the world we live in. And I want a world in which people are more loving, more compassionate, more understanding, more respectful of one another, and more considerate of everyone. So to have a world that, that breeds that, I have to live more of that and do everything I can to live more of that. You know, um, there's a quote I say, it's like our actions, our words and thoughts are like likes, clicks and shares on social media. If we want love, compassion and understanding to go viral, then we have to do more of that and breed more of that. Even in these situations when it's unimaginable, you know, when we can see someone's conditioning, maybe they're, an, they're being an absolute ass and they're being really ignorant and really self-centered and really loud and very selfish. Rather than react to that with ignorance, if I react with ignorance and disconnect as if we're on different teams, it's only going to breed more ignorance. When in reality, that individual may be carrying things I have no idea of. They may have never known love in their life. They may have never had someone to care for them. They may be working four jobs and trying to raise eight children as a single mother. The best thing I can do for anyone in that situation is to make them feel seen, heard, understood and loved, even if that is just by making them smile. Mm. And I can do that. I believe we can all do that by still drawing boundaries. You know? I do. And it's, it, you know, as you're saying it, that, that point about the evolution, I think evolution is the right word, the spiritual evolution that we're going through, because there's a spiritual aspect to it and there's an evolution aspect to it in that there has to be a faith, right? You said you said to, to, to turn off that conditioning, to, to no longer worry about the individual and that threat, that that it is unimaginable at times. It feels unimaginable. Yeah. It's impossible to do almost. It, literally, I, I think about this all the time. I say this all the time. Like it, it should feel impossible. It should feel like it's literally almost like I, the example I use is like when you hold your breath. And, and you try and hold it for as long as you can. At some point, your body's going to start to like kick in and be like, you need to breathe right now. Like it, it yeah. absolutely has to happen. Doing the things you're saying, I think at times when it's hard, when you're doing it, when somebody's being an ass, it has to feel like that. Like this is physically impossible for me to do this because it goes against everything that I think is right and the way to live and how to be a human and all of those things. And it's it's there's a leap of faith in it that, that yeah. I need to do that because it's going to lead to the greater good. And it's when you start to talk about it in that way, it's what I've learned in doing this show is that I talk to people from all different backgrounds, different spiritual beliefs, some without spiritual beliefs at all, but you can understand the underpinnings of religion and spirituality because there is, you do have to believe that there is this greater collective that you're working towards, that it's not just about you as an individual. You have to be willing to take a leap of faith. You have to be willing and able to do something that feels completely unnatural and impossible. And those things start to feel like divine. 
supernatural yeah. things that humans aren't necessarily capable to do on their own. And you need all that to make it possible to do it. So that makes, it makes a lot of sense to me that, that that's how this functions. And I think it's, 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 it's when people, cause like you could take extreme examples of people, as you said, when somebody's acting like an ass, so many people are going to look at that and say, but the right thing to do is to stop that person, right? If somebody's harming somebody else, there's a time in which I need to harm them to stop it. Um, and that feels so like that has to be what it is. That has to be what we do. And to get people to step outside that and to see the bigger picture, like you're saying, do you think people can do it? Do you think we're capable of it? That as a, as a complete planet, as a complete species, as, as whatever it is we are, our spiritual essence, our beings, that we can get people to overcome that programming and actually do the things you're saying, break that cycle, do the unimaginable? Here's what, here's, I'm going to answer this really carefully because if I say yes, someone can easily say, well, he lives in a cloud, mm. right? So here's my answer to that. How dare we not try? Mm. Which is such okay. a powerful answer because yeah. the skeptic, the cynic who says, like, how do you how do you counter that? Like, how dare we not? What re how can we justify yeah. not trying? You'd have yeah. to what, what would your belief system have to be to not want to try? Well, well, to, to me, you would have to be governed by your own individual identity. Yes. So that way you can easily say, I'm just going to take care of me and my family and the hell with everyone else. And you know, Terry, like even even when I when I you mentioned faith or faith, right? Faith. Now get this. This is something um really powerful as well because when we talk about faith, people often um when they hear with faith, they think of God, mm -hmm. right, or religion. But here's the thing: faith came first mm -hmm. to believe in God. You had to have faith that you were part of something greater, whatever that was. Without that faith, there's no way you would even believe in God. Mm. So faith came first. And that faith is very simply the understanding that you're part of a larger collective. That's it. You can have faith and not believe in God. If someone's been tormented by religious doctrine and says they don't want to believe in God, they just have faith that we're all part of one collective. And I would say, yes. So then you believe there's some unseen intelligence or energy that connects everyone. And they'll say, yes. And then I'll say, well, you actually believe in God then. You just don't call it God. Yeah. So it, it's different to say, I don't believe in the traditional understanding of God. And you can call it whatever you like. But as long as there's some faith that we're part of some larger something, or there's some unseen energy that connects all of us, well, then call it whatever you will, right? Now, even for someone, get this, Terry, even for someone that in no way has no faith and does not believe in God, this is still a conversation we could have because as long as someone is interested in the betterment of humanity and making the world a better place, then it's as simple as recognizing the power. We know we always talk about people love now in New Age spirituality to talk about our power, step into our power, rah, 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 rah. Sure. That's not all flowers and rainbows. Our power is that we can change people, that we can impact them on a heart level. It also means that we can do darkness, that we can create disconnect. We can't just look at all our all the flowers and rainbows, all the positive aspects of our actions, words, and thoughts, and say, look at my power, look at what I did. What about looking at all the times that we showed up in a place of disconnect and neglect and avoidance? That is also our power. That means we were creating more of that in our world. Mm. You know, the, the simple, like, I think of someone over a counter at a retail store and the person has, behind the counter is having a really bad day and being really ignorant and grumpy. Sure, 
we can react by by being aggressive and ignorant back to them and giving them attitude. But that's only going to make the the mood worse. That's only going to create more ignorance and disconnect. That person may not have, have smiled for a day. They have had nothing to smile about for the entire day. And simply by choosing to interact with them in a compassionate, loving way, that might actually just make them smile and change their entire demeanor. And that simple act begins to change someone on a mental, emotional level. And even if I don't believe in God or I don't have faith, how dare I not at least try to do that to make your world a better place? And if I have to, to say I'm making will a better place for my children and my children's children, which is still somewhat selfish, then cool. But whatever gets it done, mm. how dare we not try <sighs> to make one another feel loved, seen, and understood, to help one another reprogram decades of toxic programming and conditioning. It's it's so, just to, to make it real for myself, obviously, those like, as you're saying that, I could think of instances in the last two days alone where I find myself in a very similar situation, right? In driving in traffic and somebody's driving too yeah. slow in front of me. Uh, even with my wife, where where she'll say something maybe that I, I take offense to or take the wrong way. And I, I try and practice these things we're talking about. But just to illustrate how hard it is, like I could say, like driving in the traffic, right? It just happened today. I was driving somewhere and somebody was going really slow in front of me. And there's a part of my brain that recognized and said like, this is a moment. This is a moment where you can go to your usual programming and get annoyed and get angry and get frustrated at this person or everything yeah. you're saying, or you can recognize that, hey, we're all connected. And like, this is an opportunity to do that unimaginable, to, to, to go with love instead of going with anger. But I'm being honest, Troy, and I, I can only speak for myself. It's all I know, but it is surprisingly hard. Like even in that yeah. moment, as I tell myself that, I want to give myself an excuse to be like, but in this moment, it's okay. You don't have to because this person's driving too slow or the thing your wife said to you actually is offensive and you can say something nasty back yeah. to her. Even as I tell myself, I know that's not going to be helpful. It's not the right thing to do. It's not what I should do. There's something so deep inside of me that wants to do it anyway. So mm -hmm. I say that just because it's the truth, but also I know there's people listening who are thinking like, sure, yeah, it sounds nice, but like, it is unimaginable. I cannot do it in the moment. I just cannot bring myself to do it. And it's less a question of like, what's your tips to allow somebody to do that? It's more like, how do you make sense of that? Like, why, why is there that deep yearning for me to not go the positive direction, to not recognize it? I know it. I know it in my mind. I know it's true. Why is it so hard to do for some people? All right. So I'm going to have to bring up yoga a little bit. I try yeah. not to because... I try to talk outside the box of yoga, but that is what I do, right? Yeah. I've been teaching yoga for about 15, almost 15, 17 years. Um, so this is my best way to describe it. The, the mind is ego-based. The mind, and it's, I'm not saying that in a bad way. People often talk about ego like it's a bad yeah. thing. It's not. If ego was bad and, and I killed my ego, I would be calling human experience useless. Mm. Right? I don't believe it is. I think we need to befriend and create a relationship with our minds and our ego, which most people don't have. They don't have that. Which is why when the mind is in control, and we are puppet to our minds. Our mind is the most powerful thing in the world, by the way, right? If um, this wall behind me, for, for listeners that are not looking on YouTube, don't have a visual, is white. But if I said it was red, then it's red. To mm -hmm. me, it's red. You can convince me to believe otherwise unless I choose to believe otherwise, right? If someone tune into this podcast and start and, and assumed or created a narrative that I am here to talk mum, absolute mumbo jumbo, then if they're still listening, they're trying to discredit everything I say, right? That's the power of the mind. And the thing is that when we don't have a relationship to the mind, the mind's absolute priority is self-preservation because the mind is a it's individual. It's consumed with our ego, right? 
as long as we're governed by mind, we are going to be emotionally reactive to everything around us. And I do it too. I'm with you, Terry. I did it. I did it two days ago. <laughs> and I, I went back to look for a homeless guy in a gas station that I, I screamed at him that I see him every day and he's going downhill and he should know better and I'm not going to give him any money. And I was, I was having a tough day. But I, I let go on him and I drove off and then I realized, yo, you mm. know better. You know better. And two hours later, I went back to look for him to apologize. Right? I always say that being committed to practice of yoga doesn't mean we never lose our shit. It doesn't mean we're never out of alignment. But it means that we recognize when we are and we're willing to do better. And um, to me, for people listening, I don't speak of yoga as this physical practice. To me, practice of yoga is yoga of living. It's our spiritual, emotional state of being, right? It's a mental, emotional way of showing up in the world. But to answer your question, there's a teaching in yoga that says the mind is king of everything, but breath is king of the mind, mm. right? And I think there are so many people walking around the world that they are afraid of being with themselves. The mere thought of sitting with their thoughts and their mind is agonizing. They can't even, they wouldn't even, not even for a minute, more, a lot of people wouldn't even try. But get this, your mind is the most powerful thing you have. It dictates your reality and your experiences in every way. I describe it as your eternal lover. There's no way to avoid your mind. But like any partner, Terry, like you're married, like in any relationship, there needs to be intimacy. Mm. And that intimacy is cultivated by spending quality time, by listening. So if we don't, as individuals, take time to cultivate time with our breath, to cultivate intimacy, sorry, with our mind by sitting with our thoughts, then how we do we ever expect to have a relationship with our minds? If mm -hmm. we neglect our mind, they're going to end up like a neglected partner or a, or a child who feels neglected, and they're going to have to scream and shout all the time and create these narratives to get our attention. And we're going to become really emotionally reactive to the world around us. So breath is king of the mind. I'm going to answer your question like this. I believe that when we spend time with our minds and we cultivate a relationship with our mind and our breath, it, we, don't, we don't have it sorted all the time. We will always lose our shit. It's part of the human experience, right? But I believe with that when we have a relationship with our breath and our mind, it begins to happen a lot less and a lot less. And we do better every day. Because, you know, a breath is the one thing that can tame your mind. So that if I have a relationship with my breath and my mind, when something happens externally that is triggering or I want to react, I now have Victor Frank, who's a philosopher, astrologer. He says that it gives us back our freedom. Our freedom is that space upon which we can consciously choose how to respond to life. And our breath and a relationship with our breath and our mind gives us that moment of space in which we consciously choose how to respond so we don't have to emotionally react. Mm -hmm. So I believe that the more we as individuals, whether you want to call it meditation or pranayama, but the more we spend just a few more minutes of quiet time with ourselves and our mind and our breath and our thoughts, the more we begin to cultivate these relationships so that we can now begin to live our lives in a conscious, intentional way rather than being emotionally triggered and emotionally reactive. Because the emotions and the mind, like I mentioned, 
will always react from a place of feeling threatened and attacked. It's always governed by, by personal survival. It's almost like Troy is saying that, like, it makes me think back to that evolution before. It's, 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 like the, it's like the micro version of that, right? We were talking before at the macro level of humanity and this evolution, and there's ugly parts to it, right? There's bad things that happen, and we're working through that to get to the good. You're almost illustrating that on an individual level. Like, when you say, like, we're still going to lose our shit, we're still going to miss it, yeah. but it's that ability to catch it. Like, that, to me, represents it at an individual level. It's not all going to be perfect and beautiful. That's never going to be the case. Just like at the macro level, it's not. There's ugly things in the world. But we're trying to get better. We're trying to find ways yeah. to catch it, learn from it, and get better. Is it? Like, how... How? A lot of this, you'll, you'll know this better than me. I, I'm I'm somewhat still new to the world a bit. How much of this is is Buddhism? Because I think a lot of people would hear this and they think of that. Is, is did, did, yeah. did Buddha get it right? Like, is Buddhism ultimately the, the the right approach to life, the right view of life? Or are there differences in in which you see in Buddhism to how you practice yours? Um, I can't say. I mean, of course, I'm familiar with Buddhism. I don't. I don't think I know enough of it. First of all, I don't think there's any one way. That's true. There's a thousand different sects of Buddhism. There's a thousand yeah. different yes. ways, yes. right? So I, I don't, I would never say Buddhism is the way or this is the way or that is the way. I think God lives in everything. And I think love lives in everything. Mm. But here's the reality. In mind is the king of our reality. Your mind dictates all of it. And breath is king of your mind. And if somebody wants to say, well, what about God? Well, the word spirit means to breathe. So you can you can connect your dots if you like. I have. And and you know, we have just not to go off on a tangent, Terry, but this new age philosophy now, well, it's really not so new age, right? But you hear people talking about manifestation, mm-hmm. right? Let's manifest this, manifest that. And um, to me, manifestation is just a new age word for prayer. Mm-hmm. All it is is prayer, right? And uh, I'll tell you what landed for me when I began to understand and view breath as some divine agency, whatever you want to call it. I began, I, I began to put it on my yoga practice and say that my yoga practice is prayer, which it is. It's my intimate time with God and spirit as I move through my practice. And it is. But get this. God makes love to me 23,000 times a day. Mm. I breathe 23,000 times a day. So if I can see breath, as some divine agency, which for me only makes sense because it's the one thing that connects every living being on a planet and connects us to everything around us. It makes sense to me that breath carries some form of divine agency to it, right? But if that is somewhat true, then it means not even is my yoga, not only is my yoga practice prayer, but it means that we are all living embodiments of prayer. It means that every word, action, and thought that I occupy is actually a prayer. And same thing with manifestation. You can't choose what you're going to manifest. Every word, action, and thought that comes out your mouth is a manifestation and a prayer. And I remember, you know, one of my greatest teachers and a friend of mine is a yoga teacher out in California. Her name is Sean Korn. But I believe she's actually from New Jersey. Mm. And I remember one day she pointed at me in a workshop or training I was doing. Or maybe she didn't point at me, but it felt like she was pointing at me. And she said something along the lines of, And again, this is how it landed for me. I can't remember. It was so long ago. But it landed for me like this. She said, you are a source of everything that is wrong with our world. And I sat there and I was like, huh? Because to me, she was a friend, a teacher. I I held her in such great ideals, right? 
I was like, how, how, how? Because I was trying to do everything in my power to make you will a better place. So I, in my head, I was like, how is this possible? And I was so torn. But then I realized what, what she was saying. She was trying to get me to recognize that I can't just look at the areas of my life where I'm doing good and trying to make you will a better place. If I'm really committed to making you will a better place and showing up from a place of love and being a better human being, I also have to look at my own darkness. Mm. I have to look at the all, all the areas in my life in which I am showing up from a place of disconnect and greed and jealousy and separation and judgment. If I walk past a homeless man on the street who is hungry and do not feed him or pay him any attention, I am praying for homelessness. I am praying for starvation. I am praying for disconnect and avoidance. That's how powerful I am. I am creating more of that in our world. And this is not easy to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to acknowledge because with it comes with a responsibility. Well, there's so, an irony, Troy. Of, we, yeah. You're right. We are so powerful. But at the same time, many of us are so weak because we shy away from that responsibility. It's too great. It's yeah. too much. We're, I'll use the word weak and I'll speak for myself only. Other people can choose their own. But like, in those moments where we choose not to do that, right? We do choose the dark. It's I think it's because we're we it's it's too hard. It's unimaginable, like we said before. And there's that irony, maybe duality, maybe you know, the duality we always think about in life. We have so much power, we're so capable, but it's our weakness that stops us from embracing that power. It's that weakness yeah. that doesn't allow us to say, You're right. In every moment, I should be looking to help that person to do this, to do that. And I don't know how to make sense of that, honestly, that 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 duality in us, that great power, but also that great weakness. It's it's I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. Well, well, let me let me I would say this way and let me know if this this helps make some sense of it. It's a curriculum. It's like you're not going to take a kid out of kindergarten. Ask him to do algebra, algebra mm -hmm. and then tell him he's weak because he mm -hmm. can't. I, the way I view the human experience that makes sense to me is that it's some form of spiritual curriculum. And we're here to learn and we're here to grow. It's the only thing that makes sense to me, that mm -hmm. helps me make sense of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, what that, what that also does, I mean, Terry Shaw, it, it allows a space in which we will fail and we will be, in your words, weak at times. And we can get up and try to learn and try to do better every single day. But it also, for me, invites this understanding. I am part of your curriculum and you are, you are part of mine. And sometimes... I may need to make giant mistakes and do things that I am ashamed of in order to provide you an opportunity to learn forgiveness, to learn compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think we are all part of one another's curriculum because we are so interwoven that even people that we feel might attack us or do harm to us or really hurt us, they're part of our curriculum. Mm. And um, Troy, you know what this makes me think of? I'll, I'll say this last thing I'll say, then I'll give you last word uh, because this is, this is an awesome conversation. I mean that genuinely. There's a, are you familiar with the comedian Ricky Gervais? Have you ever heard of no. him? Okay, no. so he's a comedian. He's an entertainer. He's he's a pretty famous, really, really smart, brilliant, funny, thoughtful guy, but he's well known as being an atheist. Um, and he did an interview once where he was kind of debating with somebody who was trying to debate God and, and he was going on the atheist side. And he, he made an argument, which was really smart. And, and the person that he was debating was kind of like, oh, wow, that's a great point. And what he said was um, the difference between science and, and religion or, or God or anything like that is if if right now I snap my fingers and we erased all the history of humanity, everything went away, everything we know, all the knowledge, all the books, everything that exists. And we started over. 
the science books would look exactly the same. We'd get to the same conclusions, the physics books, the biology books. We would, it's all the same stuff that we would learn. But from a religious spiritual perspective, it would be completely different. And that proves that there's something more concrete and real about science than spirituality and religion. But what I think about through this conversation with you is that he's wrong. Because sure, maybe yeah. the words we use might be slightly different, whereas in science, but the same is probably true of science. The things you're talking about, the topics we're talking about transcend any of the religions, anything you said before. I don't know about Buddhism necessarily in that way, because the names don't matter. These concepts, yeah. the things we're talking about, the interconnectedness, the, the difficulty we have of kind of embracing the dark, everything that you said in this conversation, I think people throughout the history of humanity have found these things. And it's the same things that are being found over and over in this evolution. And we're starting to realize. So I think that that statement that he made, although there's some intelligence to it, I don't think it's true. I think the spirituality in us, we would get to the same exact place, even if we had to start all over again, because it just, it proves out over time. So many people are finding the same things in all different walks of life. And that's what this conversation solidifies for me is that it, it, there's something very true and real about the spirituality you're talking about that isn't man-made, that isn't something we just stumbled across and wouldn't find again. There's a, there's a truth to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when, when like, I appreciate science so much and science is beautiful, but uh, I'll put it this way, a miracle, a miracle is defined as something that is attributed to a divine agency because it cannot be explained. And I don't care. I could talk to Einstein. To my knowledge, even Einstein acknowledged God at the end of his life, right? Um, I can... You give me the greatest of scientists and there's always an unanswered question. You can give me any explanation of any kind and I can still ask you, well, how and why? How and why? Where did it come from? There was a big bang? Cool. What existed to bang? What bang? What created the bang? There's always a how and a why. Our entire existence is unexplainable. Someone can try and, and sure. And they are. They're that, trying. Right, they're trying. It's unexplainable. There's a divine intelligence, an unknown intelligence in all of it, and we don't understand it. We're not meant to, I don't think. It's part of this curriculum. We don't get the book of answers. You don't give a kid in school the answers they test. Well, maybe now you do. I don't know. <laughs> but, but um, you know, this is a curriculum we're supposed to walk. Yeah. And we're supposed to kind of like trot through it and, and do work, you know? Mm. Troy, I, I, I say this often and I mean it, but nowhere, no, never more than in this conversation. Like, I, I love these conversations. I love them. I, the curriculum analogy is so beautiful to me because that's what this podcast has felt like for me. Getting to talk to people like you, to just explore these ideas, to hear how you think, to, to work through it. It is. It's a curriculum and trying to better understand myself and better understand life. And I think that the things you're, I, I hope people like you, I hope people are, are listening. And even if you said, as you said, if you think of it differently, if you use different terms, if your perspective is different, to hear the words, to think about it, to contemplate it, there's so much power in it. There's so much goodness in it. Um, so I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for being on the show, for, for, for spending some of your time with me, kicking around these ideas. Uh, I think you're right. I, I don't say this for hyperbole. I'm now a different person after having had this conversation and I'm grateful for that. I really am. Yeah. Same, same, Terry. And thanks for having me, brother. And um... You know, it's, it's, I just want to say so your listeners can hear as well. For the last six, six, seven, eight months, I've been doing all the podcasts I can do, right? With, with like-minded people and shows because I have this book coming out. And I've begun to realize that what you guys do is something really special. Mm. And I don't think um, listeners often understand the kind of work and commitment it takes to have a podcast show and to be a podcast host. Mm. I don't want to do it. I don't <laughs> want to. Um, so I just want to applaud you and thank you for appreciate that as that. well, brother. Yeah. I appreciate and, that a lot. Thank and you. for having these kind of conversations because they need to be had. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. So I, I hope we stay connected. I know we are connected, but I hope we yeah. physically stay connected in some way. 
and I'll put links to to the book. I know it's coming out in October, yeah. I believe. Is that right? Yeah, October first. And if you drop me an email, Terry, I will send you an advanced copy today. I appreciate that. I will do that. I'll yeah. definitely do that. Yeah. Troy, thank you a ton. Hope you have a thank great Thank you week. so much, Terry. You too, right. brother. Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, So in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, It's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, their tone out a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day, um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses, or if you want to have a live one-on-one chat over Zoom, um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, As I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives. And I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, Whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly. And I hope you have an awesome day.